0: Good morning. My name's Magnum P.I. <laughs> Just kidding. Just kidding. Thankfully, there's like a newer version and an older version, so everybody understood maybe uh, what I was saying. Uh, although I know you'd not confuse me with Magnum P.I. because my shirt might kind of look like I'm in Hawaii, but the rest of me uh, does not look like either of those actors. So... Um, But good morning, my name is Phil. If you don't know me, my name is Phil Vanderplug. Ploeg. I attend here at The Fold and I am lucky enough to be able to bring the word on some mornings. So I'm just very thankful for CJ and the team for inviting me to do that. This morning we're going to talk about stewardship um, or money. Stewardship has to do with how we use our resources in our life. Um, my boys, I asked them this week to give me some synonyms for getting money. And this is what they gave me, uh, getting paper, getting bread and chasing that bag. So um, <laughs> so one aspect of what we're talking about today is money. Um, so I'm kind of a dork and I like to watch golf. I, I realize 98% of humanity does not want to do that. And if you do that, you probably fall asleep. But something interesting that's been going on in the golf community that ties into our sermon this morning is, um, if you don't know, there's this thing called the PGA. Um, It's like the NBA or the MLB. It's like the league that athletes play in. If you're a golfer and you're a professional, then you play in the PGA. Um, Probably three weeks ago, this new league started called the Live Golf Series. It's being uh, funded out of Saudi Arabia And they have gone and they've hired a bunch of professional golfers from the PGA. And some of these guys, they've given like $200 million to leave the PGA and to come play in this new golf series. And they only have to play eight times a year. They don't have to play all year round. And like for each golf tournament, now in a typical PGA tournament, you know, there are a ton of players Uh, But the winner will bring home something like a million dollars. In these tournaments, the winner takes home four million dollars, and the person who gets last place takes home a hundred grand for last place. So it's making this huge controversy, right? Which I don't really care about. I'll just watch both. But you can't help but think about when you're like, that guy got paid two hundred million dollars to go play a sport. Eight times a year, not to mention what he would win. And when you hear that, and maybe for you, it's the NBA or NASCAR racing or um, you know Forbes magazine. You can't help but think to yourself, "Gosh, what would it be like? <laughs> like, what would I, what would I do with two hundred million dollars?" Right? I was talking to, um, well, uh, one of my son's uh, girlfriends. She will remain unnamed, but she she said this week to him that her dream was to one day have a a brand new Toyota Camry. You know, it's like, you probably get that, you know, work hard. (laughs) You might get a new Toyota Camry, you know, but what would you do with $200 million? Um, Most of us would think about how we could better our lives. When, When we think of money that most of us spend our headspace on money thinking about how money could better our lives, how we wouldn't have certain problems if we had more money, how money would better our experience, how money would make us feel better about life, right? And we all struggle at least a little bit sometimes with being jealous of somebody else who has more than we do. They seem happy. I'm, I'm grateful. I know people who, who have... have um, you know, who have money, who are happy. I know people who don't have much money and are sad. I also know a lot of people who have money who are very unhappy. I know people who have a lot less who are very happy. Um, you know, so it's, but we tend to think of it that way because it's what the world thinks of around us. It's why there's so much controversy about a golfer getting two hundred million dollars. Is it's like, is that fair? I want that for me. For most of us, most of the time. When we think of stewardship, we have ourselves as the focus of what we have and what we want to have. So to sort of talk about that in a biblical context, I want to talk about two stories. The first one's in Luke chapter 18, if you want to turn there. Luke chapter 18. I'm going to call this story the rich young baller (laughs) instead of the rich young ruler. I'm going to tell you why. The rich young baller, Luke 18, verse 18, says this. A certain ruler asked him, that's Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. I love that teaser. <laughs> you know what I mean? He's like, like when, Jesus, when Jesus looks at you and me, he already knows every single thing about us. Every single thing. He's known what our lives would be like when we were five months and five years and 15 and 45 or 60, all at the exact same point in time for him. He knows the whole story from beginning to end. God is unlike us. He's outside of time. He sees everything. You know, we just experience it day by day. But before this rich young baller walked up to Jesus, Jesus already knew exactly who he was exactly what his story was, exactly what he was thinking. And I love how Jesus just goes for the gut right away. Like this guy's coming up and he's like, I'm going to ask this teacher I've heard about what could happen better in my life. And Jesus is like, whoa, am I a teacher? Or is there more to it than just that? You call me good teacher, but no one's really good but God alone. Right? Because Jesus is God not just a good teacher verse 20 you know the commandments Jesus knew that he knew them you know the commandments you shall not commit adultery you shall not murder you shall not steal you shall not give false testimony honor your father and mother all these I have kept since I was a boy yeah right <laughs> I bet he just always honored his parents but his reaction is I've kept all these since I was a boy when Jesus heard this, he said to him, you still lack one thing. I love how Matthew puts it. Matthew puts it a little different. He says, if you want to be made perfect, there's still one more thing you need to do. And this, this word for perfect, it means kind of perfect, but it also means complete, mature, or expert. See this is the hard thing about reading the Bible, guys. is it's like it'd be so good to like be there. <laughs> you know? Would't it be great to be a fly on the wall or a fly on the brick, you know, in this scenario, or a fly on the shoulder and, just, and see what Jesus' facial expression was like? You know how, how, how was he approaching this guy when he was asking him these questions? But I love how you, when you look in the Greek, there's this idea of being an expert. You know Jesus may have been like... Like, listen, if you really want to be the expert, here's what you want to do. Like, listen here, smart guy. (laughs) If you really want to be grown up, this is what it takes, right? Because he gives Jesus this short answer. He's like, I've done all that since I was a boy, right? Jesus says, well, if you really want to be the expert, sell everything you have, Give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was very wealthy. <laughs> and the Greek word here for wealthy, guys, is wealthy beyond wealthy. Like, I have more money than I know what to do with, and I don't have to work. That's what this kind of wealthy is. I like to watch this show on Discovery+. Plus. Has anybody else watch Discovery+. Plus? Come on, it's got the home shows, the cooking shows, you know? So I'm typically going there to watch, like, Home Improvement Show or, like, House Hunters International Edition just to see what it's like for people to buy a flat in Amsterdam. You know, not that I'd ever do that. But thank you, Jesus. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <coughs> I hope you like Discovery Plus, Lord. I didn't mean, didn't mean to do anything there out of line. Um, But I love watching this show, and there's only one season, six episodes, Million Dollar Wheels. And the whole thing is there's there's these two guys and this lady, and they sell really expensive cars to celebrities. Basically, that's their whole job. They just broker really expensive cars. And this one guy on the show, the very first episode, he's hunting down this really fancy Rolls-Royce SUV with Tiffany Blue interior for Travis Barker. Anybody know who he is? He's the drummer from Blink-182. Um, and he's been involved in a lot of things since then. But that's kind of where people know him from. And so Travis Barker is buying this $500,000 SUV um, in, this, in this episode. And the guy's like, you know, this is really hard to find. You know, it's a little more than we talked about. It's about five hundred and fifty k. And Travis Barker's like, let's do it, right? He just does it. So the way I kind of picture, who knows who Truett Cathy is? Chick-fil-A guy, right? Closed on Sunday. So I picture this rich young ruler to be kind of like a Travis Barker meets Truett Cathy, who's like also on the city council. Okay? Like extremely wealthy, has some religious conviction. He's got a religious checklist. I'm not judging Truett Cathy. Don't know him. You know, but he's closed on Sunday and he feels like he's done everything he needs to do. Verse 24. Verse 24. Jesus looked at him and said, How hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, Who then can be saved? (laughs) So this tells us something about the culture at this time. In the Jewish culture, people generally viewed someone with money and influence as somebody who was blessed by God. And if you were going through something difficult, it was because God wasn't viewing you with favor. This is why they had a really hard time with Jesus. Why would God allow his Messiah to be crucified? But when Jesus tells them it's hard for a rich person to enter heaven, they're like, but how can that be? Rich people are the ones God really loves. Right? Don't we sometimes in our society view rich people as the ones who have favor? Right? Don't we want to give them preference? You know, royalty, you know, they're in the news, you know. We just, we want to, you know, honor people. And that's how they were, but Jesus just blew their mind. He took their whole world, like this series we're going through now, we're kind of, it's kind of an upside down kingdom. We're kind of showing how Jesus turned everything upside down. And he's like, look, if you're rich, it's harder for you. It's harder for you. And why is it harder? We could probably guess, right? Don't, don't you, when things are going financially good, sometimes get distracted by it? Don't we struggle to ever really be content? Even when things are good? It's, it, it can be so easy when you feel like you are just rocking it at work to feel like you don't need a savior you've got it figured out, right? You pray less. I'm not saying everybody, but it's like, oh, there's a need? Well, we open our wallet, right? We, we, we solve our own problems if we're feeling confident, like things are financially well. And, you know, we tend to kind of hit our knees when things are going bad. <laughs> oh, God, I can't do it anymore. I could for the last year, but right now I feel like I can't. Would you please help me? Right now that's not always true. sometimes when I'm down the worst is when I ignore God more. you know it's not always that way. that's why Jesus said it's impossible for someone who's rich to go to heaven. he said it's it's difficult because it's so it's so tempting to feel like you've got things under control yourself and you don't need help. It's so tempting when you have a lot to not to feel like you don't need help from God, right and that's what Jesus is saying, those who heard this said, who then can be saved? And Jesus replied, what is impossible with man is possible with God. You know, essentially guys, you know, what's going to come later when Paul writes the book of Romans, you know, this, this resounding truth that we understand today as believers that we're saved by grace through faith and not by works. And the way God overcomes the sin of I guess, selfish wealth, I don't know, is the same way God overcomes every sin in our lives, and that's with the grace of God through the blood of Jesus. And so God makes it possible for everyone to come to know him and to be saved. But here's the thing about the rich young baller. He was raised with an idea of how things worked in God's kingdom, but he was wrong. He came to Jesus... Because he'd heard this teaching. It was different than what he'd heard before. Because his whole life he'd been taught, you're a good Jew, here, here is your, uh, your checklist, here are the rules to follow. And he had somehow gained his confidence from checking boxes on this list. And he hears that Jesus is going around town saying, hey, it's not about the list. And so he goes to Jesus and he says, hey, I've been checking all the boxes. What else do I need to do? And Jesus just, man, he blows his mind. (laughs) Sell everything and follow me. Turn away from all, like not part of your security. Turn away from all of it. All of it. Everything you know. Give it to the poor and come and follow me. And what Jesus knew he needed was a reset. Jesus dropped the bomb on him, right? Jesus brought the smoke, you know? And he did it because he needed to wake this guy up to the reality of things. That real obedience to God is a heart issue not a checklist issue. You know, in our family, sometimes when our kids are really acting up, you know, it doesn't work to just be like when you got like this reoccurring problem, you know, maybe it's disrespect, maybe it's You know, not flushing the toilet, I'm kidding, I don't get in trouble for that, but, you know, just like, just an, you know, an ongoing problem. Sometimes we don't just say, hey, you know, you can't um, do such and such activity like play video games, ride your bike, um, go to your friend's house today. Sometimes we say, "Um, you're grounded indefinitely, and what that means is until we see a change in you, you can't do that, right? Right? man, I've done that. <laughs> it's hard to do as a parent. It's hard to hold that up. But sometimes a kid just needs a reset. At some point, a kid just has to be like, okay, I'm not winning if I keep doing that, right? It's, it's better. It's better for me to not behave that way so that I can continue to do these things or go to this place or be a part of this activity. And that's kind of what God was doing here. He wasn't giving him an indefinite grounding, but he was giving him a wake-up call Your viewpoint of how you see God is wrong. That's what Jesus was saying to him. And what he wanted him to understand is that obedience to God is a heart matter. In order to do the will of God, we have to know his heart and be willing to follow his example. That's what it means to live the Christian life is to know Jesus and to follow his example. I want to talk about one more person in the scripture, the poor widow. We know her story, don't we? Listen, we don't know how this lady became a widow, but in this time period, guys, the first century was not a good place to widows. Okay, There was one of two things that it was possible for you to do. Before, before the church came along, and now the church, you might remember from Paul's letters, did a lot to help widows. It was a big ministry the first century church had. Also taking um, possession of abandoned babies was something the church did. It was all brand new. Nobody was doing that before. But caring for widows was a big ministry in the first century church. They were the first to do it. But before that, there was only two things somebody could do, a lady could do if she became a widow and didn't have a husband to take care of her or didn't have money stored up so that she could take care of herself, which was extremely rare. You were either a beggar or you were something else that is much worse than being a beggar. And those were the only two options. So I have no idea how this lady, we don't know, how she became poor Um, and where she got her money from. I saw, you know, just to interject another funny story, I have to tell somebody this story because I haven't had anybody else to tell it to. Um, But like last week, I was driving by Walmart on the west side of Spartanburg and I saw this man begging. And this guy was hilarious. He looked like ZZ Top and he was holding a sign that said, "I I need a thick honey to give me money. I thought, I thought that was the funny thing. I don't know how badly that guy actually needed money, but he he was making a joke and I'm sure people gave him donations just for being funny. Um, but he seemed to be begging. This lady was for real in a difficult situation. Mark 12, uh, chapter 12, verse 41 says this. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were being put and watched the crowd putting their money in the temple treasury Many rich people threw in large amounts. Listen, I've, I don't know if you have. I've been to some churches. Some other cultures uh, do church like this. Some more charismatic churches do church like this, where you know the offering plate is down front, and everybody like comes down to put money into the plate. And it's either like a very somber experience, or sometimes it's like a carnival, man, where people are dancing down the aisle to bring their donation. You don't really know what they're putting in there. I typically don't go down. It's because I feel awkward, um, you know, but I've been in environments like this. You know, there had to be people who are sitting around being impressed or judgmental. You know what I'm saying? There, there's at least one guy, I don't know, Pharisee or I don't know, some guy like Phil, who's just sitting there at the temple, you know, Jesus is over here, you know, and he's sitting there and he's like, "Hmm, mm, mm, you know, <clears throat> That's how pastors feel sometimes. No, I'm kidding. Um, you know, but that's what's going on. There's people standing around, people who are witnessing what's going on. That's why you've got rich people who are, who are making, you know, they're not like, you know, how, do, how does Jesus know they're putting in large amounts? Well, he knows because he's God. Good point. Good point. Um, <laughs> but people would, in this, in this culture and context, you know, where, where you were thought blessed by God if you had a lot, they gave in such a way that showed that they were giving a lot, right? To get attention. And somehow this lady got up the nerve to come bring her offering. Verse 42, But a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more in the treasury than all of the others. I mean, there's Jesus bringing the smoke again, right? He's bringing the surprise the surprise truth nobody expects to hear is that this poor widow who came in and only put a few pennies in the offering, Jesus said, I can just picture it. You know, Jesus is sitting there. He's seeing it happen. He knows her. He knows her heart. He says, hey, guys, hey, hey, you see what's going on right there? That's what it's about. That's what it's about. I mean, this poor widow gave us a look inside of her worldview. She gave us a look into her soul. (laughs) She gave all of us, anyone for all of time who's ever going to read the Bible, a look into where her true trust was placed. And isn't it beautiful? Isn't it beautiful? Jesus thought it was. A few weeks ago, CJ talked about how God was frustrated and had judgment for people who were ignoring the marginalized and needy in society. But what motivates you and I to handle money the way that we do? And that's a question only you can answer. That's a question only I can answer. But how is your worldview shaped by the money that you have or the money that you don't have? You know, I get to work, I work in the landscaping business, um, nursery business. And something I get to see a lot of are trees and shrubs and plants and seeds and dirt. Right? And you know what comes with those four things? Weeds. <laughs> weeds. Gosh, I hate weeds, man. I feel like I'm buying, like, like, like weed killer all the time because all I do is I go around and spray the weeds and Corey says, don't do that in the backyard because of the dog. So I don't, you know, but my front yard, I'm telling you, <laughs> I'm spraying weeds. I hate weeds, right? Because weeds, they grow up everywhere. If you don't control them, they grow up everywhere. They will grow and choke things up. It's, it's the natural order of things in the world. If you don't want weeds, that's human interference in the natural world. You are taking something out to make something more beautiful. But the, the the viewpoint of money that puts you and I at the center, that's the weeds of life. That's the normal thing. That's, that's what everyone thinks. That's what the unbelieving world thinks, is that you and I are at the center of our resources, and that's where our resources need to go, and that's who we need to consider first. We have to have a me first Mentality, And if we're going to have a different attitude, one like Jesus was portraying to the rich young ruler and one that this beautiful woman already had in her heart in the way that she gave to the Lord is the pulling out the weeds in our life to create something more beautiful. It's not natural for us to put other people first. It's not natural for us to view our resources the way God does as as things that he's given in our care for us to use for his glory and for him. It's like pulling weeds. We we have to keep track of it or that will grow up inside of us. The selfishness will naturally grow. But the selflessness has to be cultivated, just like a plant. Now, I'm not talking about extremes. I read a book. I'm not going to name any names because Corey told me not to. Um, but I read a book, some of you read a book by a famous Christian author and it was all about, um, can't use the title of the book and the way I describe it, you know, but just, you know, just give, you know, what I say, but he was very like, you know, don't have this for yourself. Give, 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 sacrifice, 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 sacrifice until like months after he wrote the book, someone came to him like that house is pretty Nice for somebody who's supposed to just give up everything for the cause. And, you know, what? rather than have the humility to, to expound upon it more, he just, he moved out, right? And then later on moved back into a house pretty similar, you know? Um, so you don't have to come out of the gate and be like, Jesus wants you to have nothing. Jesus wants you to, to, to give all of your, your money away at one time. I mean, how unwise would that be? I mean, God, God knows your life. He knows about your interactions today. He knows what's coming. He knows what resources you need to take care of your family. He knows who in two weeks from now might need some help from you. So the important thing is not to have this, this worldview where Christians should be, you know, we need to be monks and we should have nothing. The idea, guys, is, listen, it's, it's, it's to have a lifestyle of Generosity. That is the point. It's not a sin to be rich. It's not a sin to enjoy things in your life. What God wants from you is to be a person who is known for their generosity. You know, I've said, I've said this before. I view manhood in the way that my boys grew up to be men. As I say, you know, when you're a man, you become a man when you can take care of yourself. Right? And then after you learn how to take care of yourself, then you go find a lady and you, and you work hard to have the resources and ability to take that umbrella that is now covering yourself and cover somebody else with it. Now, I'm not saying anything about like women working or anything like that, right? But it's an attitude of the heart. And then from there, you know, you as a, as a husband or as a mother, you, you work hard to have that umbrella grow and you have children underneath that umbrella that you're covering. But here's the thing for a Christian man or a woman, it doesn't stop there. Christian men and women are, are always looking around for who else fits under the umbrella. Who's got no covering. Who needs, who needs covering for a season or who needs covering for longer than that? And how can I help with that? 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17 says this. And Paul is writing to, to Timothy, a younger disciple of his. He says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. It is uncertain, isn't it? Money comes and goes. You know what I mean. You get a broken transmission; it's all gone. But to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Okay, God doesn't just just bring uh, um, resources into your life. He wants you to enjoy them. That's not the that's not the point. We're not supposed to be monks. Okay, verse eighteen. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds. <laughs> And to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of life that is truly life. What does that mean, life that is truly life? He's saying so that they will really get it. So they will really get it. To be a person who lives a generous and sacrificial life. Because what's most important is knowing Jesus and being like Jesus and living life for him because we will spend eternity in the consequence of the decisions we make today. And so will other people. How we handle our money shows what we really value, right? If I'm hurting relationships with my family, men and women, to make money, what does that communicate about my priorities? Some people can't stop working. Some people have children in the wake of disappointing relationships with their parents over money. What's the freaking point of that? Right? What does it communicate about my priorities? If I'm becoming a slave to debt, what does that say about where I find my value? Right, this is this is a huge problem in our society is debt. You know, there's so many people around and they have this thing that we want, and we want that thing, or we want to do better than them, and we go into debt. Man, people are driving around in lives full of debt. Many times to impress each other, and the other person's in debt. <laughs> you know, and the banks are just laughing. Right? I'm not saying it's bad to have a credit card, you know. But Jesus said, oh, no man anything but love. You know? Debt can be a sign to us that we're we're finding our value in what we have. And your value is not in what you have. It's not in what you look like. It's in the love of God. God wants us to work so we can give. It's not that God doesn't want us to enjoy what he's given us, but he wants us to be characterized by our gratitude and by our generosity. For every good thing we have, God wants us to say thank you. And God wants us to always be looking for for ways to expand that umbrella to cover others. God wants church to be a place where we worship, where we learn God's word, where we find community and where we give together so that we can do great things for the kingdom of God. I'm not going to take another side trail here on tithing, guys, but I think that's very important. My wife and I do that. We give at least 10%. We felt that was a, a, a conviction from the beginning and God has always taken care of us. But listen, in God's kingdom, that's just a starting point. You know, because Christians, you know, they can get into the whole thing like the rich young ruler where it's like, well, I gave my 10% and then they just, you know, look the other way. But that's not what we do. The reason we don't give to the fold, we give through the fold. Everything that you give here goes to the ministry of the church. I promise nobody here is making a buck off of being here. Mostly all volunteers, okay? Okay. But that's why we do it, so that we can make a greater impact together than we can make all by ourselves. In Greenville, last verse, Acts verse twenty, verse thirty-three says this. And this, this is Paul as well. He says, "I have not coveted or been jealous of anyone's silver, gold, or clothing. I'll be jealous of my shirt today." Verse thirty-four. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself when he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. If you want to be happy, be a giver. This is so hard for me, guys. I am a selfish son of a gun, you know? I am. But the happiest days of my life are the days where I give more and where I expect less for myself. That's just the reality. And that's something I'm trying to learn. So stewardship, doing, doing with the resources God has given me, what God wants to be done in the world. But it's not just about money, so I want to ask a few questions in closing. It's not just how you steward your money. How do you steward your grief? Have you ever felt grief? Have you ever been hurt? Have you ever felt loss? I have a really good friend whose son passed away. Mind-blowing to me to think about what that would be like. I, my, I, my heart can't go down that road. But it's happened to somebody that, that, that we love and care about. Grief. Grief. We've all experienced grief, but but is grief and pain, is that become something that you are at the center of? Is, 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 is grief and pain and hurt, is that something that in your life right now is just, it's something that you internalize and you brood and you hurt? Or is it something you're willing to let God redeem into a good thing? Listen, God doesn't bring sinful, broken things into your life. People do that. But God works all things together for good for those who love and are called according to his purpose. So how do you steward your grief? Is it inward struggle or is it something you're allowing God to redeem so that when somebody else is around you who's dealing with grief, you can say, you know what? I know what that feels like. And it can become fruit for good. How do you steward grace in your life? We've all been given an exorbitant amount of grace, Right? I mean total forgiveness. (laughs) That's crazy. Total forgiveness. That's such a wonderful truth that you and I could spend every last second of our living life thinking about it and we still would not comprehend it. We have a lot of reason to be happy. Right? But how do we steward that grace? Do we forget it? Do we just keep it for ourselves? Do we keep ourselves just the center of it? Or do we extend that grace to other people? I, I don't know if it's, if it's COVID or what, man, but I feel like the world is more anxious and, and self-focused now than it has ever been before. I feel like everyone on the freeway besides me is in a drag race, right? I feel like, I feel like everybody's concerned about who's gonna be in line in front of them at cookout, you know? Like, like, it, it seems like more than ever, people are looking to the right and to the left to make sure that, that, that they're looking out for number one. I do it too. But how do we steward grace in our lives? We can be generous with that too. We can give people grace they don't deserve. Just like we've been given grace that we don't deserve. How do you steward your time? That's another gift that God wants to use. That God can use. You know, do you go to church on Sunday morning and you're like, well, that was enough of a sacrifice? I don't have any more time this week. Been there. But God, He gave us hands and feet and bodies and minds to use to reach the world with the gospel. How do you steward your joy? We have a lot of reason to have joy. Joy is kind of a silly word, isn't it? I felt weird putting saying joy. I thought it was a bit happiness, you know, or something like that. But joy, that just sounds like somebody frolicking through a field to me, you know. But maybe if I really understood the grace of God, I would frolic through a field. You know, like David, you know, when he danced in the nude um, before the Lord, you know. Or at least his BVDs, we don't know for sure, but... He definitely put himself out there um, for joy. We share that joy with other people? Do we look for ways to bring joy into other people's lives? See, there's a lot we have to steward when we talk about stewardship. And money is the first thing we think of, and it's important to talk about it because it really is core to a lot of things we do and a lot of decisions we make, right? Right? We're Americans, you know? But there's a lot more to it. How we steward our grace, how we steward grief, how we steward time, how we steward joy. But at the end of the day, what God wants from us when He's talking about stewardship is for us to live generously. For us to live generously with our money, for us to live generously with our time, for us to live generously with our grief, for us to live generously with our joy to be the kind of people that bring the light and love of God into other people's lives all the time. And we just have to make it a little less about us if we're going to point people to Jesus. All right, let's pray. Father, I pray for your mercy in my life to be a more generous person, to be a good steward of everything you put under my watch. Father, I pray for us that you would not only teach us these things, God, to teach us to have the heart like the poor widow. God, but that you would provide us with opportunities to be the light and love of Jesus to those around us with all the means we have. We give you thanks for how you blessed us. God, just use us, Father, to reach the world. We love you because you loved us first. In Jesus' name, amen.